And the time to start, if you're not living your dream, is right now. Start setting goals and setting out where you set in the course of your life and setting it all up so that you get somewhere in the future. When all that comes together, something happens called fulfillment. If you are not experiencing awesomeness in every aspect of your life, it's just from an internal block or barrier disconnect that you've chosen to take on. Life is as easy or as hard as we want to make it. And I got my hands and my eyeballs and my heart around any information I could around holistic healing. And that led me down a never-ending rabbit hole of which I'm still spelunking into the depths of. I needed something like ayahuasca to really wake me up because I was very rigid and very stuck in my ways and very structured and controlling. And my first ayahuasca ceremony cracked my ego in a billion pieces. And uh, that's when I believe when you when we really follow our deepest truth, when we really follow our soul, when we really follow our true calling, the universe rises to support us moment to moment to moment. Welcome to the Holistic Health and Human Potential Podcast. I am your host, Ronnie Landis. I'm an international speaker, author of multiple books, an integrative nutritionist, a transformation and embodiment coach, and simply a man who has devoted most of my life to the study, application, and integration of human potential. And it is my biggest inspiration to bring you weekly episodes that will expand your mind, challenge your paradigm, deepen your heart, and help you to embody the greatest version of yourself as I believe you are meant to do something incredible with your life and this podcast exists simply to support you on that journey. Welcome to episode 101 of the Holistic Health and Human Potential Show. I'm your host, Ronnie Landis. We have an incredible interview lined up for you with Nadine Artemis. And before we dive into that, I want to let you know that this show is sponsored by a company called Neurohacker Collective, and they've produced their flagship product, Qualia. You may have heard about Qualia on the internet. Qualia is, in my personal opinion, in my experience, the single most powerful, potent, and really just the best and most effective nootropic product that I've ever tried. And in fact, it's the only nootropic product that I will actually use at this point. And for those who are not familiar, a nootropic is basically a cognitive and brain enhancement uh, supplement that uses natural, natural ingredients ingredients, natural compounds, and different things that work synergistically together to increase immediate focus, immediate energy in, t- in terms of the nervous system in the brain, and it helps with memory retention, short-term and long-term, and many other things that really focus on brain health and performance mentally, and I love the product so much, and so if you want to go and find more information about it, you can go to neurohacker.com, and if you want to try the product out, they have a monthly subscription on AutoShip, and you can get 10 off the product by using the coupon code human potential. Again, the coupon code is human potential to get 10% off of Qualia. And 
If you've been listening to the show for some time and you really get a lot of value out of, it and you, out of it and you really appreciate the efforts that we put forth to bring the best of the best out of the closet and bring their insights and their wisdom out into the world to really uplift your life and give you tools and strategies to transform every area of your life, then I would really appreciate it if you could leave a review, a five-star review if you really love the show, because every time someone leaves a review, it boosts the show's ratings and makes the show more accessible and visible to everybody out there in the world. And that is my goal to get this show to the entire world. So you can leave a five-star review on the iTunes page. You can do it on your iPhone or you can do it on your computer. I would greatly appreciate that. And without further ado, let's dive headfirst into this incredible interview with Nadine Artemis. Enjoy. Nadine Artemis is a true visionary in the fields of health and beauty. She is the creator of Living Libations, providing the purest botanical products on the planet, an exquisite line of essential oils, serums, elixirs, and dental care products. A passionate researcher, innovative aromacologist, and modern-day alchemist, Nadine developed immune-enhancing formulas and medicinal blends for radiant wellness. She is also a speaker, educator, and the author of Holistic Dental Care, The Complete Guide to Healthy Teeth and Gums, and the forthcoming book, Renegade Beauty. I like that. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's a total pleasure. Um, I have a lot of people in our industry and a lot of just a lot of personal friends of mine, especially a lot of ladies that were really excited to know that I was having you on the show and they were all jumping for joy because they love your work. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> so before we dive in, and you have a really interesting angle on a lot of topics that I'm really big into. And uh, before we dive into that, though, I would love to know a little bit more about how you began your journey into holistic health and what led you into the path of beautification and aroma therapeutics. Yeah, it's sort of hard to pick an exact starting point. Um, there was like early, the early whisperings of just loving and being in nature and being able to just like stare at, you know, the forest floor for hours and move things around with my hands and that, that whole thing. Um, I just loved, uh, we had a cottage in the woods and I just spend, you know, all day, every day outside. And back then you didn't have to come home till the sun went down. So there's a lot of freedom, a lot of exploration. And then in grade nine, and I really had a fascination with, um, you know, cosmetics and perfumes and I would get all my mothers and sisters hand-me-downs, um, and I would just mix them, even though they were already made, like when I was a kid. And then I was deciding about a science fair project, and I was at the library, and a book came out of the shelf, so to speak, and it was all about making cosmetics. And it was, you know, geared for younger people, so it was really understandable. 
And it talked about, among other things, like how perfumes, you know, the history of perfumes with ancient Egypt and how they were made from flowers. And I was like, oh, because, you know, it's so disassociated. You just have these bottles of smells, you know, all these designer names with smells. And so just really tapping into understanding that was fascinating. And it said that these, you know, what they're made, what they were made out of still exists and it's called essential oils. So this is grade nine. And I'm like, oh, wow. And they, you know, suggested you could buy it at a health food store. So we, my mother took me to a health food store in the main city because there wasn't one in our town. And that's where I smelled my first inhalations of like neroli, ylang. It was, I was hooked. I was fascinated. I ended up recreating Laird de Tom for the science fair project. And, uh, you know, I smelt those aromas and they definitely sort of lit an olfactory light bulb in my mind. I didn't quite get still the difference between synthetics and naturals. So I continued my, you know, teenageness and, um, definitely it was just seemed like a time of bottles and bottles and, you know, it just seemed like there were so many options. And then the body shop came along and it seemed so promising and natural and the aroma palette was definitely different. Um, but then it was when I was at eight, I was 18 and I was in university and, uh, you know, a lot of self-directed learning going on. And I was also getting a degree in philosophy and women's studies. So that I found just fascinating. That's when I was like really excited about school. Before that, it was mainly, you know, what can I do to, to, uh, you know, get by because I found school not, not so fun, uh, kind of boring. And, you know, I like to be social and do, and do other things and even play in nature more than I wanted to, to regurgitate things in history class. So it was, um, so it was at university. It was amazing because in, in women's studies, I was like interviewing midwives. Um, we were, you know, I was doing papers on Madonna. I was looking at, you know, the banking system, how it relates to women's poverty in Africa, looking at Taoist uh, sexual culture. I wrote my paper on the female orgasm. One of our textbooks was Our Bodies Ourselves. We got to understand the horrors of birth control and IUD. So while all that's going on, I'm also like living on my own. There's a health food store on my street. Like literally, it was like this barely transformed house. It was this health food store called Grains and Beans and Things. And eventually I bought every book and every bean in that store. And it was fascinating to me just to see all these other options for helping common ailments that even in, I, you know, I did, I, I was fairly healthy, but we all end up going to the doctor for something, um, especially as a teen. And back then, you know, your parents take you for regular checkups and stuff, but even to seeing then the fallacy of like, they don't necessarily know how to solve issues and they don't necessarily have all the answers. And, um, I was very much into questioning authority. So questioning the authority of the doctor or the dentist was easy to do. So I had all that going on. And then, um, a very pivotal moment for me was actually uh, just happened across the Donahue show that was talking about Diet for a New America with Raul Julia and Lisa Benet. And I'd never heard of like people that didn't eat dairy or or that the fact that our food supply was so tied up to the environment and our health and you know and all those statistics on pesticides and everything so it was absolutely eye-opening um combined with all the books i was buying at health food store and one of them was um i don't remember the name but it was nikki and david goldbeck's guide to like the supermarket or something and they took you through every label in the in the supermarket and that was just so eye-opening because then you could see the foods that were supposed to be healthy like 
um, you know, whole wheat or like all brand cereal or yogurt, and then actually understand the ingredients or understand secondary ingredients that don't even have to be listed on the label. So through that, that is when I was like, hold on, what's in all these body shop products and all these things that I'm buying. And so it was from that moment forward that I never ate or, um, sorry, ate or started to eat organic food and I never ate processed food or applied synthetic body care to my body again. And I started making everything. And then I'm also reading about exotic oils that I could not find. And I had to find them things like, um, carnation absolute or immortal baronia um you know just these really rare ones so i was also researching where and how to get essential oils and i was getting you know that was scan this before the internet so it was like a lot of research a lot of writing consulates and agriculture um uh whatever like a different whoever is in charge of agriculture in different countries where I knew there was a lot of distillation going on, like Madagascar, France, those kind of things. So I, then I was getting in oils like bush distilled tea tree from Australia or bergamot from the Jasmine coast of Italy. And they were so amazing. So it was amazing to smell the oils I'd never smelled, but was also fascinating to smell oils that I could easily get. And I learned that there was a whole other level of quality and that there were essential oils being distilled by like fourth, fifth generation families. They were artisanal. They smelled so good. And then I really understood the nature of the whole food and flavor industry, which is generally where a lot of essential oils are produced. That was That's the majority of the production. And then they get folded, refractionated, adulterated, made into nature identicals, and then dispersed throughout the perfume and food and cigarettes and liqueurs and, and even in the essential oil industry. So that was like a huge learning curve moment for me. And I started to make my own skincare. Then I started my own business called Artemis Essentials. And then I was in Supporting essential oils all the while going through university. So I could hardly wait to graduate because I really knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then within months of graduating, I'd opened up a store called Osmosis, which was North America's first full concept aromatherapy store. Um, I had a blending bar there. We would make perfumes on the spot and it was just so much fun. So that was my start. Wow. That's, that's, that's a great story. And one of the things that was coming up a lot for me was this conversation around essential oils. And that's a, that's a pretty broad topic. And I think there's a lot of distinctions wrapped up in it and there's no better person to dive into that than you, because you've developed an entire, you've helped develop, you know, largely entire industry or, or maybe innovated an industry through the company that you've created and the work that you do. So I would love to hear more about essential oils, you know, and, and maybe, maybe from the question of like, what, why would somebody, let's say, for example, somebody that is just kind of dabbling, they're not totally in the door yet, but they're curious, like, why would they be interested in essential oils, um, you know, for, for health reasons, for clarity, um, beyond just kind of the fragrance aspect? Yes. Well, they're such, to me, they really, I really feel like even in my own making of skincare, the whole thing would seem flat without, without the essential oils. They're just such a, beautiful palette to work with and um 
for me, there's a lot going on too, because I, I think synesthetically. So that means I combine senses and for people, it could be music and shape or that kind of thing. For me, it's color. So everything, everything has a color in my mind, every word, every aroma. And so for me, there's like a painting that goes on when I formulate and I blend. So there's a full, like sort of multifaceted component to the essential oils, which I just find so fascinating because they, you know, they're, there's a material form to them in the sense of like a herbal, mm-hmm. like if we think about a herb or herbal extract, a herbal infusion, there's that uh, reminiscent part of the plant matter. And then there's this other quality that can hardly be contained because there's these volatile uh, meaning they can evaporate. These essences can evaporate. They're formed in, through distillation, through an evaporative mess, method that they go from their plant matter, from the dross of the plant matter, and then heat is added, the element of heat. This uh, percolates through steam, the essential oil out of the plant matter into a vapor, in the steam distillation method, they become total vapor and then they go into a cooling coil and then they're brought back to life, so to speak. And then they're in, in a more of a water form. Um, but they're not, they're an essential oil, which doesn't mix with water. Um, so they go, it's gone through these changes in character through alchemy. They've gone through the stages of different elements from the matter, the heat, the vapor, and then back to a liquid form. And uh, so that's just really cool. And they have that whole imprint with them. They smell, and yet you don't have to have a sense of smell for them to work on you. So the molecules do, do travel into the into the nose, into the olfactory system, trigger the hypothalamus. They release different uh, neurotransmitters, which are beneficial to the body. Then they travel through the, the rest of the body blood vessels, lungs, they're doing things, they're, they leave through the liver, they can help the liver. So they're even if you didn't smell that oil, but you inhaled it, but you had a nausea and you couldn't actually tell what it was, it's still, the molecules are still going to work on your body. Likewise, also, if you just apply it to your skin, and again, you don't have to smell it, it has physiological properties that it will take care of for your skin, like uh, the many essential oils are anti-inflammatory or can help inhibit the enzymes that break down our collagen and elastin or they can help with the the villia and the lungs if you've got bronchitis so there's like just so many aspects and the fact that they also smell and there is this invisible component to them i find fascinating absolutely yeah and there's a there's a lot there and you know, I was just curious <clears throat> what what your perspective on that might be because I'm actually what what was coming up the question mark <laughs> the question I wanted to ask and I know that I'm almost hesitant to because I know there's going to be a lot of people there like you know it's almost like blasphemy <laughs> but I'm curious what is the female fascination with fragrances and with like I don't know perfumes and and cosmetics and that kind of thing. Um, I'm just curious what your perspective is on that for my own inquiry. 
Well, I think also on a practical level, as we're all understanding more about our own health and we don't just have to go somewhere and go, oh, what do I do now? And we can do a lot of things through um, home therapies, you know, bathing, engaging with the elements, you know, walking, getting, uh, you know, laying in the sun, getting fresh air, changing something about our diet. And the essential oils are very good, like first aid tools as well. So they're very practical to also have in in a household. And as for interest for food, Female interest. I mean, I think, you know, culturally and historically, we've also been channeled into this realm of being fascinated with those things as well. I and mean, we've had many times in history and actually in the early, you know, in, in the Greek and Roman, Greek, Roman and Egyptian cultures, again, I'm making broad statements, but the, you know, the the priests were also the perfumers and the medicine men. So there were chambers in the temples where they would have still rooms and they would do all the preparations. And there was no separation between medicine and perfume. So, of course, back then it wasn't seen as some fe- feminine frivolity. It was seen as like serious serious business I mean even Cleopatra had her own still room and so her cosmetics were made fresh daily then you have people like Napoleon who was absolutely obsessed with his ablutions and his hygiene going through like 60 bottles of his own personal cologne every month bathing in them um, and then you have the perfume court of uh, King Louis XIV, so, and they were all obsessed with their looks, their hygiene, and their essential oil perfumes. <laughs> so I really think it's more this, uh, you know, the modern times that have kept essential oils and perfumes and skincare on a more feminine trajectory. Mm-hmm. Because also with the advertising, too, um, of course, men are now included in, in all the fun insecurities that we've been marketed to but <laughs> for decades, right? It was more about cleaning up the excesses of the, the perceived excesses of the female body, right? Like uh, how, you know, like the, the feminine hygiene ads that are like, oh, her armpits aren't her only area of concern for smell. Um, so, you know, we've had that history to, to, to go with, to roll with that we have to like smell better, look better. And all that stuff. Yeah, well, that you just brought up a very important point. I'm really glad and glad you did about the the marketing of insecurities and triggering those insecure spots, and how that leads to further consumerism of uh, products that are most likely horrible for us in many different ways. And I think that that's a very subtle thing for a lot of people. Most people listening to this, I imagine, are are pretty well aware of that. However, I'd love to dive into that a little bit about, you know, um, just this whole idea around this, this whole marketing pull around really just chipping away at our insecurities as a way to get us to do things. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's deep. It's so deep in our culture now. Um, Yeah, even things like skin type. That was created in the 60s by Clinique as a way for people to purchase products. And I think there's a lot of hype around skin type because we're just looking at the symptoms. And then people are like, it's almost like, you know, confessional 
I have oily in the T zone and then dry around the chin. Or, you know what I mean? And then it's like this thing, this identity that we're supposed to carry around to every time we buy cosmetics. But meanwhile, you want your skincare to bring your skin so into balance. You have no clue what type you are. And all of these things aren't really type. They're symptoms. They're symptoms of underlying skin conditions that most modern skincare is just exacerbating, exaggerating, and making more imbalanced. Mm. And do you find, um, I think it's somewhat of an obvious question, but do you find that this kind of, this kind of thing really affects people on a psychological and emotional level? Like when it comes to the identity around whatever symptomology or whatever, um, whatever someone's associating as them, you know, like in my world, I have people that are coming from various forms of cancer or diabetes and they and the identity around it is that I am a diabetic or I am a cancer survivor or whatever and it's like whoa okay I you know you start after a while you start to see how these subtle identifications um, perpetuate the core issue Oh, for sure. And that's where we really need to look at the nature of, of identifying with something, which, again, culturally, especially in a consumer culture, then the, I mean, that's really the goal. And I don't think it's like everybody in every advertising agency is necessarily doing this on a conscious level, but that is the goal. Once you've identified with something, then they've opened up a consumer channel. And I, I you know, I feel like even you know, I would think of myself as more immune to seeing like images of, um, you know, any image in a magazine or a billboard, because even like, cause at 18 and 19, I was like understanding media literacy and like looking at the hidden messages. And it's not something I usually, I don't usually open any kind of magazine. So I would feel like I'm more immune to it, but I'm sure I'm not. And then if you think of like huge portions of the culture, which are digesting daily images of perfect people, Mm. day in and day out and then you get to the mirror and it's just got to feel like futile and empty and like you know you're never gonna have that china doll skin at 60 Mm. because you know because no because the only way to be that perfect is through photoshop china doll skin i'm just thinking (laughs) of the literal like you know it's like no, you're. A human oh yeah, I, I, I say that too because I did. I was at, I was at an airport a couple of years ago, and I was like, "Hey, what is going on with Vogue?" And literally, <laughs> I flipped one open, and it was like China Doll Skin is in this season, and then it talked about all the foundations that that just I guess they've gotten to a crazy stage. Foundations, but that's like a makeup that would be put on as like a skin layer, and they're filled with like polymers and plasticizers. Because they're trying to c- create a whole layer over every fine line that ever, you know, that's on your face. And so it's, again, these things are achieved through so much maintenance and application and airbrushing. But again, I think sometimes when we're just at home in the mirror, it's just it just seems so like it must seem really futile for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um Wow. Okay. There's a few different directions 
I want to go from here. Um, one of the things I want to maybe put a little bit of a highlighter on in terms of this topic is, you know, our skin is obviously the largest organ of detoxification and the dermal and epidermal layers get, get like impacted with subtle toxins over all the years. And it just forms like layers of toxicity and <clears throat> makes it very difficult to perspire or to release water-soluble toxins or whatever the case may be. And I'm curious, what are some of the, you know, what are some of the, the cleansing strategies, the beautification cleansing strategies that you apply or that you might advise other people in a situation where they're waking up, they're realizing like, hey, you know what, I've been coating myself with all this like toxic material, it's getting into my lymph and my blood and, and it's time to get to move everything out. Like what are some of the really effective strategies that you've incorporated in that arena? Well, I think if we do a general overview first, and we must realize that we want to engage with the elements for so many reasons, and we want the the sun, the water, air, and earth, and the gifts of the earth to replenish and to be like our beauty attendants, so if you think of them as your new esthetician. And what we also need to know is that just like the guts, the skin has a large bustling microbiome of beneficial bacteria and pretty much every single modern day thing that we have been told, trained and sold to do to our skin is disrupting the health of the microbiome. So if we think of something like soap, so now what they know, studies show, because the, the study of the human microbiome luckily is, is vast and, and it's, we're getting a lot of great research coming out of this. So we now know that soap surfactants lodge themselves into the stratum corneum and disrupt the production of ceramides, disrupt the hydrolipid barrier and the acid mantle. So there goes your whole, there's your whole epidermal layer that you're wanting to keep happy and healthy for glowing and radiant skin. So, um, and again, and the, the surfactants are left in the skin for days and we keep applying, even if it's that gentle foaming cleanser from the health food store, it's still the surfactants are lodging themselves into the stratum corneum. So we're never really giving the skin a break. And then, uh, we're barely sweating or we're wrapping ourselves up in polyester clothes or we're applying like Lubriderm lotion, which is like so many lotions is filled with petroleum. And so then the other ingredients that we're using, um, which haven't all been studied, but I'm sure they are lodging themselves into parts of the skin as well. But the other thing is, is they're like a coating of saran wrap on the skin. And so they're inhibiting the skin's respiration system. So we have to really change like those thoughts, but the simplest way I see, I see for it, for people and whether it's your gut or your skin or your oral microbiome, I have the three steps, which I like to call stop, seal and seed. Mm. So first just stop, you know, <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah. stop doing that stuff. Like stop showering in just chlorine. 
Mm. Like get a, you know, get a $25 water filter from eBay or Amazon, um, or get a small bottle of, of spring water in a glass, like a, you know, spend a few dollars and get the glass spring water and have that in your bathroom for your face. Like, cause maybe you can't change your whole water system right now. And, um, you know, and we really, really got, have got to relook at how we're using soap. Like the days of lathering your body up with like the dial, you know, those ads, those are over. So yeah. you just want to do, you know, you want to work with a natural bar soap, which is so easy to find. And I'm so, I'm so excited because after a whole year, we finally will have our, we have a clay soap coming out like next week or something. And so you're going to use that soap. It's going to last you forever because you're just going to do pits, bits, and like scrub your nails clean with that. Mm. Uh, and that's it. That's all you're using soap for. And um, then you're going to, you can wash your body and your face. Well, your butt, like your thigh, like skin doesn't really ever need to be washed. You know, when you're in a bath or shower, that's cleansing enough. But you can also, um, what you do for your face with oil, you can also do that all over your body. So you just take a cloth. And like a squirt of jojoba or really real olive oil, get a warm, some warm water on that cloth, squirt on some oil and then, um, sort of, you know, massage, but I'm not saying like massage, massage, just like glide that over your face. Um, if you are wearing makeup, you know, it'll be a little bit more, uh, work, like a little bit more massaging, maybe doing it twice to get all this stuff out. And then you, then, then you rinse your face and then you put on one more squirt of oil. That's it. That's all. Like that will be better than the thousand dollar cream. Like, you know? Really? Yeah. And home was so beautiful because it's it's actually liquid rack, wax. It never goes rancid, and it has such. It's so similar to our skin sebum, and it can lift oxidized sebum out of pores. It really helps with acne, and the amount of acne that clears up from washing with oil is amazing. It just, it seems counterintuitive, um, but it's not, you know, we've been washing with oil since ancient times. They would make aqua oleums and, and, and a lotion or cream is just water and oil emulsified together. Mm -hmm. So when you do this on your skin, it's like you're making a fresh lotion on your face because you're adding the water into the oil and then you're kind of massaging it on the skin. It's just making a very light kind of emulsification that lifts, you know, dirt and different things away from the skin, but it's not stripping the ceramides and the hydrolipid bar barrier, and it's not disrupting the acid mantle. So when we over exfoliate as a society, and when we put all these chemicals onto our face, we are disrupting, we're mutating, and we're making microbes go extinct on our skin. Mm. And so then our, our microbes, our beneficial bacteria, are not able to sort of be the first responders that they're supposed to be on the skin surface to when they're being poisoned or different things because we the owners of the body are literally trespassing with toxins every day we're like literally applying poison to our skin and the bacteria are like hey mm -hmm. <laughs> you see them like oh my god there comes that hand again with the lotion <laughs> um so basically when we do that and we strip away um and mutate our microbes and i kind of feel like it's like going on vacation with your front door open like it's just right. literally right taking away your skin's system and the skin is a huge part of our immune system 
Yeah, they, oh, that's yeah. that's a brilliant point. And um, there's a there's a few different things that popped up in my mind. Like one of them, taking it back to the beginning of that part of the conversation, you know, for all the men out there, um, uh, polyester is spermicidal. You know, so like there's all these mm-hmm. polyester underwear, and I mean, you know, like I, I'm an I grew up as an athlete, so I remember wearing like the those like. Uh, we won't name any brands, but pretty much they all are made of the same thing. Um, you know, those like um, sports, uh, what do you call it? Underwear, I guess, the type. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's all pretty much polyester, right? So all the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the fabric material that we're wearing that if you're an environmentalist or you are a humanitarian of, of any sorts or you identify with that, then from that level – from where those where the clothing is coming from is not really the best karmic thing ever but then what that is actually doing to our endocrine system and um, our cleansing systems is obviously not the best thing ever so I'm throw yeah definitely there. not yeah. and for women too that I mean polyester underwear that's like your ticket to yeast infection mm. Mm-hmm. Do you do you feel like so much uh, from that that particular subject? Do you feel like so much of those issues are like irritant in a sense? Like they're they're being like um, they're you know like the the fabric or the material is irritating the surface tissue. Yeah, it's it's irritating, and then it's actually changing the whole homeostasis of the environment, and. And not you know not allowing it to breathe, or then maybe somebody's shaving that area, and then you've got more disruption to that whole area because now with the shaving puts micro tears into the skin, mm. and then infection can go in there, and then the you know the the vaginal microbiome needs to be slightly acidic, so it's then it's changing the whole environment. Yeah, so it's uh, okay. it's not healthy. Got it. So, yeah. So taking it back to, to the, the microbiotic perspective, because this is such a huge area and you laid out so much incredible um, context and information for us. There was a term that I came across a while back called the astrobolome. Are you familiar with that? Yeah. But I, I, but I rarely heard about it. Yeah, it's kind of still like a niche, um, a niche kind of study, and it's it's basically how um, our strobilum is like a faction of our microbiome, which is how our our bacterial colonies, if you will, um, affect our estrogen. You know, affect estrogen dominance. Yes. Yeah, I think I heard about it from. Um Donna Gates mm-hmm. and Sarah Gottfried. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They spoke about that. Yeah. So, you know, what, what comes up for me is, is just all the ways that we have been affected or, or infected, if you will, by the hyper sterilization <laughs> of our society. And it's kind of counterintuitive, right? A lot of people still are kind of like waking up to the fact that, you know, we have antibiotic resistant strains of bacteria. We have things like what you were saying about the analogy of going on vacation with your door wide open. It's like that's basically what's happening is that these these super bugs or bacteria and these pathogens, there's no defense system to ward them off. 
to keep them keep them out of where they need to be. So now they kind of have free reign to, like you said, to to mutate and take over. Um, and it's just kind of fascinating from that perspective that so much of that damage, even Candida, is is a byproduct, is a symptom of over sterilization. Hmm. It is. I mean, and so many skin conditions really are. Yeah, I mean, you could have a candida fungal rash on your skin, around your eyes, around your nose. That can happen. Acne, age spots, eczema, rosacea, melasma, psoriasis, keratosis pilaris, hyperpigmentation, blemishes, blackheads, dandruff, scaly, and even skin. All of those can be manifest- manifestations of a microbial imbalance. Mm. So we've been just thinking about it the wrong way. We haven't been looking at the root. Right. And so the, the products that you've you've crafted and formulated, I I understand that they are they are formulated with a very specific intention, which is what makes you an alchemist. Right. Because an alchemist is very much about their intention going into their formulation, whereas most of these other products that we're, we're kind of hinting at have no intention they're just like almost like random assortments of chemical and form yeah and lifeless and lifeless like completely lifeless yes and that that, that's when we go back to essential oils i mean they're just such a fascinating palette to work with because uh they're, they have so much substance. And when we think of caring for our skin or really any part of our body, we got to step away from those bottles that were, you know, from the cosmetic counters and really bring in the confluence of the cosmos, like what's made mm. by the, the sun and the rain and the earth. From, you know, I really like people to just start thinking, um, like I have a chapter in my new book coming out. It's called the micro, the Milky Way to the microbiome, and really <laughs> understanding that we are linked up to the entire cosmos. Like the meteorites that plant microbes on our planet to the carbon content of our cells, we are even linked to the atoms and comets that fell to the Earth and to the elements of exploding stars. So that's where we want to start thinking, you know, about like on a larger scale and getting out of the way and letting our microbiome do the work for us. Our skin is really starving for a reunion with the elements. Yes. You know, we need to soothe the stardust that's us and then bathe our, in a bacteria and like bathe in um, the bacteria that's really life affirming, mm. you know, by using ingredients that, that that come from the earth that are organic that are that have you know the flower that's like open to the its petals to the sun and been rained on and caught the wind and grown out of soil these are the things that we want to use on our on our skin i mean plants are the cosmic alchemists really they're endlessly assembling the molecules of the world and we live by that we live by their grace they mix this elemental matter into manna that we're either going to eat or apply to our body and that's the life force of this, that sort of the plant perfection that we can't even, you know, even in the labs and all the stuff we know, we can never recreate that plant perfection. And that is the perfect thing to mix and meld with our microbiome because this is what the plant tissues are made of. And their, their tissues make cells that produce lipids and aromatic essences that, um, 
that through the alchemy of, you know, pressing and steaming and distilling, we can just so beautifully capture that in a bottle. And, and the distillation methods have been, they really haven't changed in thousands and thousands of years. And the original people that created these things were brilliant, like Avicinia, who was a poet and a physician. He was a physician by 18, a poet, a, an astronomer, uh, like everything. He invented, uh, he just, he was the first to distill rose and he made so much rose medicine. And that is how we're still distilling the essential oils today. And the really cool thing that we now know through our study of the microbiome is as they search for things that can help with antibiotic resistance, scientists and researchers are looking for things called quorum sensing yeah. inhibitors, QSI. Please tell us. And more so about what they Yeah, the so in our bodies, we have our bacteria, our beneficial bacteria, and then pathogens are there, and they usually are on their own and floating around in a planktonic state. I think of like a plankton in the ocean. As the numbers grow. As the pathogen, pathogens grain, gain like popularity, so to speak, they use a method of communication called quorum sensing, and this enables them to express their genes and to grow in numbers. So now they can start saying, hey, you, you come over here, Let's, we're stronger in a group, so to speak. And so what essential oils do, and again, to varying degrees, because they're all different, but as a group... Essential oils are all antifungal, antiviral, and antibacterial, um, but they just do it in different ways and do it to different degrees. Um, so they're able to inhibit the quorum sensing, and they're able to bust through biofilms in ways that antibiotics cannot. But the brilliance is that they are able to um, also work with the beneficial bacteria without destroying them. So I like to think of them as botanical biotics. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. There's, oh man, there's so much incredibleness in, in all that. I love the fact that you brought up the quorum sensing though, because I, I just actually, I'm, I'm just in the publishing process of a new book and it's funny enough, it's called the inner alchemy youthening program. Uh, nice. Yeah. Very, very timely. Um, here to have this conversation because there's so much of this on the tip of my mind. And I brought in, I actually heard that term from listening to one of your interviews with our friend uh, Lucian uh, of uh, Longevity. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and yeah. it was like, oh, it was just a little reference. I was like, put that in your mind, use that at the right time. And it came through when I was doing, a, I, I, I wrote a whole chapter on, I think the chapter is called The Alchemy of Physical Longevity. And there was a huge section on on um, calcification and really, really pointing to the, the nanobacteria and the different pathogens like the viruses and the fungi and the different forms of that bacteria that incubate underneath the radar and create these like shell-like formations from the biofilm that they excrete and, and so on and so forth. But the thing, I, I'm thinking of the paragraph where I brought in the quorum sensing aspect as the modality, the, the communication syndicate that all these little, these, these infectious organisms use to actually like congregate and, and communicate with one another. And um, it's hyper fascinating. And so when you bring in this element about s essential oils 
having the capability to disrupt that communication system, um, because I'm very tactical and strategic about these things, it gives me this whole other, like this whole other, I guess, umbrella of tools to advise people that are, that are beyond just like, you know, just, uh, just nuke your, nuke your microbiome. Like that's fine. That shouldn't be a big deal. (laughs) That's what we've been doing. Right. That's the whole germ warfare theory and like antibiotics and, and really a lot of our skincare and oral care is this uh, sort of carpet bombing of the whole biome and it's not discriminant. You know, antibiotics are indiscriminate mm. assassins. I like to say just go in and, you know, either deplete or mutate um, whole sections of our of our microbiome. You know, it's thought that we are now like that there might have been about 2,500 species, so species, not actual bacteria uh, in our guts. And now we might the average American might be down to a 14 or 1,500 so we may have lost a thousand gut species through Whoa. our modern living of, you know, grandmothers taking antibiotics, mothers, mother, and then you yourself um, from th- that low daily dose that's in our food supply, the tetracycline that's in mm-hmm. milk, you know, that's in every, you know, all meat and dairy, all factory farmed yeah. um, stuff. And plus then you add on top of that, um, the skin skincare things with triclosan, uh, especially things from that from the dermatologists like the cortisone creams. Then you've got cesarean sections, mm-hmm. which you know really um, that, that those studies are really fascinating. Just seeing the different colonization between a vaginal birth and a cesarean birth. Mm. And now, luckily, it's such a simple thing has been that uh, is catching on. They just swab the mother's vagina with like a cotton gauze, and then they apply that to the baby and you put it in the baby's mouth. So it's so simple. It takes two minutes, and it's revolutionizing people's immune system that have to be born by cesarean. That's incredible. See, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Have you read? I wouldn't know any of this if I didn't have a a woman such as yourself giving me this information. (laughs) (laughs) It's important for us to all know because then we can, you know, it's like so simple and you can even do it. I think if the doctor wasn't too keen on it, Mm. just gauze yourself and put it on your baby. Um, That is, uh, there's information online about that. And also that's it in um, Martin Blazer's, Dr. Martin Blazer's book, Missing Microbes. Missing microbes. Okay, I'm I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm sure you would love that. I'm sure I would too. um, (laughs) I I, there's so many questions coming up, but but in the sense of time, I have to. You kind of gave me a nice little segue for this question that I think I think you're gonna love because it's coming from one of the videos that I saw you giving a lecture on. (laughs) <laughs> and it's it's so important though it's it's like something that's so obvious but until somebody says it you don't really get it and so um one of the um one of the presentations you did at the longevity conference i do not remember which one it was because you're a speaker at every single one of them um <laughs> which is amazing um but you were talking about the fact that there is a generational vitamin D depleted breast milk situation among mothers. So essentially because of the lack of vitamin D exposure via the sun, um, generationally speaking, 
now mothers, and I, I don't know all the statistics, I'd love to study it more, but basically the idea is that now mothers breastfeeding are depleted of that natural vitamin D3 that they would have had, um, I guess, epigenetically or just from their own sun exposure. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit. Yeah, it's 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 important to really keep your D levels happening because as as a nation, for sure, like North America, if we just pretend it's one nation right now, um, it is uh, definitely we are direly depleted of vitamin D. And I think what we will also find is that we're direly depleted in K2 because the only way to get K2 is through, you know, uh, food that is not factory farms. So now that we have all this food grown up in the shadows of pesticides and factory farms, because pesticides even affect the plant's photosynthesis, then we, and that's vitamin, that's vitamin D3's partner for bone health, for, for cavities. They work together to usher the minerals into the bones rather than just keeping things like calcium and magnesium in the blood supply. Um, so vitamin D is so important and, um, you know, there's been so much propaganda about fearing the sun for decades that we do fear the sun. Um, and that's one of my favorite subjects. My new book has a whole chapter on it um, because it's very important that we do get vitamin D and we get it on our skin because the type that our skin produces is a water-soluble vitamin D3. All supplements are only uh, fat-soluble vitamin D3. And so, yeah, we need them. And I, I'll need a, I need a D3 supplement in the winter because I'm in Canada. Um, but we really want to manufacture vitamin D3 in our skin. And I have an article or two on our website and it goes through, you know, wise interaction with the sun, how to start your being in the sun early. You know, you want to start early. You want to start in the spring. You want to flip, you want to get your base tan going. You want to up your melanin. We're kind of like solar panels so we can charge, you know, stay charged, help that through the, help us through the winter. Although it still doesn't seem like enough to get through the the full winter here. Um, and we've got to stop thinking of it as a, thing that creates um age spots and melanoma um or simple things like wrinkles what's causing age spots is mainly the fats the polyunsaturated fatty acids in in like processed oils like mazola corn cottonseed canola that whole group um that that's a major uh, cause of premature wrinkles, melasma, hyperpigmentation. And, um, and it was funny because suntanning really came, was really had a good, it was like really celebrated. And then the dark, like the literal dark ages came and then the Renaissance brought like some new, you know, nature came back into vogue a bit. Uh, but it was still struggling with like the Descartian uh, dualism of the mind body split, that kind of thing. And then right at the turn of the century, as there was huge issues with tu- tuberculosis and stuff, because then we had like uh, all of a sudden huge parts of the population living in the cities instead of the, instead of out in the country. And with that, a whole bunch of sanitary conditions and light suffering because now they weren't living the outdoor life. And so um, the Nobel Prize in 1903 went to Niels Feinzen, who, who, was curing tuberculosis with heliotherapy. And then a few doctors like Dr. Auguste Rollier really brought that into, um, 
being by creating these hospitals in Switzerland where they were all like out beds on verandas and people would go there to to tan and the, and children that had rickets or tuberculosis and things that were making their bones deformed. Um, you know, they would go there for six months to a year and you just see the before and afters is really quite astounding. You can look them up on Google, Dr. Auguste Rollier, just look up children, you'll find it. And you just see these, you know, open wounds of tuberculosis, crooked spines. And then a year later, you've got sort of plump, tanned, very happy children. And so he was hearing all kinds of things. And even, you know, even in Vogue, there was articles about tanning and Mademoiselle Coco Chanel was like, oh, every, you know, every outfit needs the accessory of a tan. So it was really happening until about the 30s. And then it just started like, careening off especially with the 50 50 60s 70s and then once especially once i think there was like more tie-ins with the sunscreen industry and dermatology mm-hmm. there's a really great book that um, was written by dr ackerman who was the founding father of dermatopathology which is the study of diseases on the skin and it's called myth on myth um sun and melanoma so we studied melanoma his whole life, and this huge, thick book is all about how the sun does not cause melanoma. Mm. And in the back, he's so radical. And he just started, I think, in 209, but he goes through all the connections between the sunscreen companies and dermatologists. It's really quite fascinating. Mm. And he goes through every single study that was ever done until the time of that book being printed. And wow. it's just fascinating. And that book is Myth on Myth, Sun and Melanoma. Yeah, if I'm, I'm, I might be a little incorrect, but it's myth on myth, the sun, and yeah, some some kind of configuration I'm, with I'm the words, Doctor Ackerman. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna order all this once we get off. <laughs> and that's definitely like a book finder book or something you're gonna have to okay. find used. To dig into it. Okay. Yeah, but it's like it's so great, and he's so. I just love even his writing style. He's mm. so radical. It's amazing <laughs> just to see this highly accomplished doctor just going for it see i love that because i'm like i I consider myself like a renegade nutritionist so Mm -hmm. i'm i'm very much like that and i think you you alluded to that early on in this conversation it's quite obvious through the through the through our our dance together here that 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 you very much resonate with that too this 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 archetype of like the rebel or the 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 orator the person that speaks up you know and really, mm-hmm. my new book is called Renegade Beauty. Yeah, I see, yeah. Can you? Um, th- thank you for bringing that up because this is a great opportunity to talk a little bit more about that. You know, it was fresh on my mind because I just handed in my manuscript like like a week a week and a half ago, <laughs> so it's really fresh. Um, but I'm so I did not realize how therapeutic it would be to write it because it's um, been on my list to do for a couple of years. But it was so great to really get all this out of my head. I actually feel quite liberated now. I'm like, yay, it's all there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fun because I felt like I got to bring in like, you know, a line from a book I may have read like 25 years ago or something. So I just got to bring it all together and um, it'll be out in the fall. What, what is that? Um, why is, why did you call it renegade beauty? Well, that's what we, at Living Libations, that's what we've called, like, our beauty realms for a long time. We just, like, it's about engaging with the elements um, and and the gifts of the earth to really be your finest bathing attendants. Mm. 
and, you know, not buying into the fears and insecurities that we've been marketed to, to take care of our skin. Mm. That's, that's fantastic. And I think that right there, that sentiment to me really encapsulates why so many people love you. Well, they love you. They love your message and they love your, your products. And they're, and as we've discussed in this, this interview, they're not just beauty products. I believe beauty is a natural emanation of someone's character and somebody's mm-hmm. consciousness and somebody's inner terrain. And when those things all are cohesive or they're congruent and we really feel good about ourselves, we really love ourselves, and, and that, and we're, we're like, you know, we're just in alignment in our life. That emanation of our personality, like the, you know, in Taoism, they call that our Shen. Um, that is really to me, like what, what youth, youthful energy or, or, um, beauty is really about. Mm-hmm. It truly is. It's just always that thing that you might analyze somebody like in that ratio of a super, you know, you might go, Oh, well, their ratios aren't quite like a supermodel. I'm using an exaggerated example, but you're like, but they're so beautiful, you know, like, like there's so many people out there that were just like, maybe you wouldn't, you know, they're not going to be a supermodel, but we do find them so beautiful because of their spirits shining through their skin. And that's something that we can all do at any age is really allow that to shine through. Yeah. Be wonderfully said. Um, so as we, as we conclude here, um, what is one thing that might come up that you'd like to just share with the general audience? Um, one insight, one tip, anything that you'd like to share with everyone? Oh, it's hard to pick one. Mm. You can pick two or three, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just feel like it's like spring. And, um, even though we got two inches of snow last night, um, but it's spring. So I just really encourage everybody to engage with the sun because it's so rejuvenating on a cellular level. We have thousands of vitamin D receptors all over our body and they're so tied into our immune system and they need to be brimming with vitamin D three so that we stay healthy. And when they're depleted and empty, then our immune system can really easily be, um, challenged and that we also, um, the sun is really a beauty element and it will actually, you know, take away acne. It will help eczema and psoriasis. It will plump up the skin. And I think when you really go into it and you're hydrating enough, you have a good diet that you're following along with it, drink a thing of chlorophyll every time you're in the sun and lubricate your body with things like jojoba. And I think, uh, I just challenge everybody to re-explore their relationship to the sun. Oh, I love it. That, that right there is the one thing that I harp on a lot too. And, um, you know, and, and just on that note, like there's a lot of like analytical data and everything to validate why we should connect with the sun. It's kind of like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, but really it's like, it's a part of our, our essence. It's a part of what we're on this, this beautiful planet for is to connect with the elements, with the biosphere and not to be afraid. It's just such a, it's such a hilarious not so hilarious, but you know, it's, it's the edge off, right? It is Iron funny, of, yeah. of the whole situation. Like I'm, I'm here in Hawaii and that's, that's why that's part of why I feel like 
um, I had to leave San Diego and, and hop on a plane to come out to my first home here in Kauai is because I'm just looking out the window and I'm just reminded of the grace of life by being surrounded mm-hmm. by, you know, this, this, this magic. And that's, and that's really, I appreciate you saying that what you said, because that's what I invite for everybody else is to experience more magic and more grace and more enchantment, which is what naturally comes from being in nature. You got it. Perfectly said. Mm. So, um, your website and um, your your can you please share with us your your website and any other um, resources that people can access your your uh, information. Sure, we have livinglibations.com and there's a whole section of articles on there. And I have some uh, YouTube videos up on YouTube, which are, are, there's some educational ones in there. And then Instagram is always fun because I love Mm -hmm. taking pictures of our land. (laughs) And uh, that's where you can find me. And if you have any questions, feel free to email us at sage at livinglibations.com. Cool. And then last one, last question. When does the Renegade Beauty come out? Do you, does, is there a release date yet? Yeah. Well, I don't have the date date, but it'll be October 2017. Okay. So this fall. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, I would love to have you back on around that time so we can continue to get the message out. Perfect. Thank you so much. Mm, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Nadine. Love the work you're doing and really appreciate you making the time to uh, jump on with me here. Thank you so much. Have a great day.